Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So how many people here have Facebook friends or two, one or two, that you have no clue who they are? A few? All right. It, this week highlighted that for me. It was the back to school week. So we posted all of our pictures of our little ones holding their signs, saying, I'm starting preschool, I'm starting whatever. And it's super cute when they're little. It's funny when they get older, because you can tell they don't want to take the picture, but the parents want them to. And then it kind of caught on and created buzz, and businesses are doing it, and universities, and it's the prof saying, it's my 4,732nd day, and I teach this. And I couldn't believe how many pictures there were this week as I was scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and in the waiting room for hours on end, and I don't even know what my data plan looks like right now, but uh, man, there were some though that I'm like, oh wow, I can't believe how old they are, um, I can't believe they're already starting JK or SK, but then there were some that I'm like, who on earth is this kid? And I would click the profile and I would look at their parents and I would say, who on earth is the parent? How am I Facebook friends with this person? And one of them, I think the connection was I met him in Calgary last year and we thought it'd be better to just become Facebook friends rather than exchange phone numbers because we'd never text each other. And I think that's how we know each other. But I'm like, man, how on earth do you become friends with people but know nothing about them? Like, I didn't know their kids, I didn't know their, their wife, I, I just met him. And I bring all of this up because there's an epi epidemic happening in our midst, in our society, across our country, around the world, and it's having serious consequences on our emotions, uh, physically and spiritually. And the epidemic that we're facing as a society is loneliness. People today feel alone, and people today feel disconnected. And even though we're one of the most connected generations that have ever lived and walked this planet, there's this sense of isolation that we're on our own. So it raises the question that even though we may be connected to people online, to one another, are we truly known? Do we actually have a community around us that, that knows us, that loves us, that cares for us? And this ought to be the church. You see, we need the support of a church family. And when you're a part of the church, when you enter into God's new kingdom way of living, his resurrection life, when you enter into his family, you don't have to go through life's ups and downs alone. We have one another. And that's what I've said several times where sometimes my week is just brutal, but I'm so excited to come together on a Saturday to just be part of this family, to be together. And life is better together. This is the shirt that we've made for our, uh, our church. So on the back, it says the Well Community Church. And on the front, it says life is better together. And Sylvia helped me come up with this and get the shirts done. And it's been impressed on my heart lately, over the last few weeks, that life is better together through the gathering of the church, that through God's 
family, through God's people, we can fight this epidemic of loneliness head on and we can say, we can beat this thing together. And last year, the, the kind of tagline we put out in our community, we made postcards and it said, because Sundays don't work for everyone. And that worked at the time because we're new in the community, we're trying to raise awareness, we meet at a different time, which we still call Sunday all the time. And, and it helped at that, at that season. But lately, God's been impressing it on my heart that life is better together. It's time to now move away from the, because Sundays don't work for everyone, and start focusing on loving God and loving others, and being the church, and inviting people into the church, and into the family, because life is better together. It's the great commandment. In Luke 10, 27, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Life is better together. We're designed for connection. We're designed for relationship with God and with one another. And in fact, for those of you who don't know the whole story of kind of how the well came to be, I'm just going to recap it really quick. God began calling Amanda and I to Binbrook through actually a relationship with Chris and Alex. He planted us in, in a church where we met them, and then we started a small group here. And through that relationship, then God started putting on our hearts like, man, I, I want to do a new initiative and a new work in Binbrook. So Amanda and I were scared to death and thought, hey, let's talk to Chris and Alex about this. And they said, we're in. And, and together, the four of us then started saying, okay, what's this going to look like? So we began meeting at their house on Sundays and just having breakfast together and dinner and just doing life together. And over the course of that time and, and praying and having some pretty highs, high highs and low lows, because I think I took them on quite the journey, um, we then finally decided it's time to have just a party, a barbecue, and we invited friends and neighbors to come. And that's where we met Eugene and Rona. And I thought, there's no way that they're coming back again, and here they are, and I'm so thankful for it. And, but it was through a relationship, and it was just through doing life together that we just collectively began discerning what is God doing in our midst? What, what's God doing in our community, and what's he wanting to do in and through us? So we had been discussing and praying about what to name the church. And the well kept coming to my mind, not the name specifically, but the story of the woman at the well coming from John 4, where Jesus meets this social outcast and he crosses uh, social and economic and cultural boundaries and taboos and just encounters this woman, where she's at, for who she is, and, and just meets her there. And I just love everything about this story. I, I, I love that Jesus is willing to take those risks, that he's willing to do whatever's necessary to encounter this woman. But then I love that as she encounters Jesus, she leaves transformed, she leaves changed. And as she encounters Jesus, she goes back to the community that had marginalized her and that had labeled her as an outcast and she begins sharing with them the story of transformation. You see, 
God didn't put on my heart that we were supposed to do this new radical thing. And sometimes I thought that that was kind of what he was leading me to, and I wrestled with what that might look like, but it wasn't about a new way of doing things. It wasn't about recreating church and reinventing the wheel. It was just simply about creating a space for people to encounter Jesus. And the beauty of it is that it's all about Jesus. It's not about you or me, and it's not about winning or saving anyone. It's about Jesus doing the work of people encountering Jesus and their lives becoming changed and transformed, having met him. And it's a place where we, we value and want people to encounter acceptance and authenticity and community and generosity and, and rest. Because the other image I, I love about the well is that it's not a place you stay. It, it's central to our being. It, it's a place where you come and you get, get water, get nourished. Our bodies are made of 60% water, so we can't last long without it. But it's a place where you come, you get your water, and then you go. You go back to your communities and workplaces and schools. And I loved the picture of that because sometimes the temptation is to kind of build our houses kind of right next to the well. Or it's like, all right, here it is. Let's just stay here. Let's protect ourselves from what's out there and let's stay close to, to this, this source here. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I give you living water. Come to me, get refreshed, and then go back to where I've called you and placed you and I'm sending you and allow me to do the work of reaching people through the transformation and the change in your lives. Our world is facing an epidemic of loneliness and we need the church. And people who don't even come to church yet need the church. We need people who will love and support us no matter what we're going through because life is better together. One of the reasons too we wanted to put this on the front was Sometimes when we set up our huge banner and it says, making Jesus known, that can kind of be intimidating for people who've had bad experiences with religion, who've been hurt by church, or who just have heard some of the rumors about it, and they're kind of sidestep our booth. And we just wanted to put our best foot forward. So when we're at the fall fair next weekend and we have our own spot, which we finally do have our own church booth, yeah. We can put, just say, life is better together. And we're going to have cards that say life is better together. And on the back side, just our church address, the name, Saturdays at 5. And I really hope that this is a way that, that will just create conversation and that will just get people thinking differently. And that will help battle this epidemic of loneliness. What we're about to see in our text tonight is that God's always been up to something, and he continues to be up to something today. So the first text I want to look at is Romans 1, verse 12. And here Paul starts off his letter to the Romans, the church in Rome, saying, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. And right off the bat, what he's saying is that we need each other. Don't do this alone. Just as iron sharpens iron, your faith will help me and my faith will help you. 
We're designed for connection. And this is why studies on loneliness are beginning to show that it's not just emotionally, not just affecting us emotionally anymore, but it's literally killing us. It's shortening our lifespan. And some experts have even gone as far as to argue that a prolonged period of severe loneliness is worse physically than 15 cigarettes a day. That's the physical toll this is having. So Paul begins his letter to the church in Rome by saying, we need one another. We need each other. Now, a couple of really cool facts that are going on behind the text, behind the scene here, is that Paul has a huge heart for Rome. Rome is the metropolis, it's the urban center. And N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, he, he figures that at this time, it was probably a city of about a million people. But does anyone want to take a guess on what he figures, how many Christians were in Rome at that time? A hundred. One hundred. And when I read that, I was like, our stats are actually better than Rome. When at the time of writing, like we're like 40 people out of 10,000. He's a hundred people out of, out of a million. I'm like, all right, this is looking good for us. Talk about needing each other though. Talk about coming together as the church to encourage one another, to spur each other on. But one of the, the reasons that Paul has such a huge heart for Rome is that Paul's plan for Rome is that it's a base in which they can spread the good news of Jesus around the Mediterranean. Because it was the hub. It's where the merchants would sail in and go out. So if he could get the hundred people equipped and on fire with the good news of Jesus, and they could go and spread that down at the docks and the workplaces, then that would spread to the ends of the earth. And that is exciting. Because Paul's writing about a hundred Christians in the city of a million. And God's given him this vision to spread the gospel. And I think what's so encouraging for me is that sometimes it can feel small. It can feel like, are we making a difference? But I know that we are. I know that God is using us. He's working in and through us. And what's most exciting is that Binbrook is a bedroom community, which is literally where people come and sleep so that they can go work in another town and community. So talk about us coming together to encourage one another, spur one another on, fix our eyes upon Jesus, to help each other through the highs and lows, but then to go back to our workplaces and to continue to spread the good news of Jesus and share, just like the woman at the well, the change and the transformation that's taking place in our hearts and our lives. This is how we get to participate in spreading the good news of Jesus. Our vision is to connect, grow, give, and go. And I've always thought it's funny that our vision is to go. And uh, it would be hard to lose anyone. Like, we love you guys so much, and everyone here has such a vital part to play. But if God's calling you somewhere, if he's placing you somewhere, if it's a different home, a different place of work, calling you overseas to do international work, we're cheering you on. We want to see you go to wherever God's calling you. We want to see the good news of Jesus go to the ends of the earth. 
So as Paul says, let's help each other with the faith we have. You help me and I will help you. Life is better together. So another image that Paul uses for the church is a building. And he's not talking about a physical church building, but he's referring to us as a building. And in a building, all the connected parts hold each other together and they provide support. We all have times in life where we need people to hold us together. That we need that support. And if we don't have each other, if we don't belong to the church, during those times, it's so hard not to fall apart. So Paul writes this about Jesus in Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So together we form God's temple, a building. A disconnected frame has no support and no stability. We need the stability. We weren't meant to go through life disconnected. And the best part of it is that we have Jesus at the center. So it's Jesus who brings us together and holds us together. It's Jesus who changes us and transforms us. So our job is just to continue to connect with each other around the person and the presence of Jesus. And we do that as we gather on Saturday evenings. We can do that in, in our homes, around dinner tables. And, and we do that by coming and, and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's centering ourselves around Jesus. So how many people have played with Lego? Hopefully no one sat on this Lego piece on your seat. and Because uh, I, I have here that leg, there's only one reason for, or one purpose for Lego, but there's actually two. One of the purposes is your kids like leaving them out, so when you go check on them in the middle of the night, you're in immense pain. But uh, the other purpose for Lego, the main purpose for Lego is they're designed to connect. And if you connect Lego together, you can build all kinds of great things. You go to Legoland out in Vaughan, and, and man, they have some crazy sets, and they have some crazy things built there. But if you never connect them to each other, then it's literally just a pile of plastic. But we're God's Lego. We're, we're designed for connection. We're, we're made to be in the building of God where we connect to one another. And when you're not connected, when, when we don't have all the pieces, you're missing out and we're missing out because together God's building some amazing things. And as most of you know, and as I shared earlier, Landon broke his arm this week and the, the, there's two bones going down the, your forearm, which I didn't know until this week as well. And one of them, he just severed right in half. And the other one, he just cracked pretty good, but it was still intact. And Man, he was in pain. And I just thought, it's designed to be together. It's meant to be together, to be whole. And, and when it's not together, when it's not connected as it should be, there, there's pain, there, there's disruption, there's, 
And that's like us. We're created and we're designed for, for connection and for relationship with God and with each other. Life is better together. We need the church. We need the support of a church family. We need people who will love and support us no matter what it is we're facing. So as we head into a new season, as we embrace fall, I want to challenge you to four things that I believe comes from, out of our text, some of the implications. And the first one I want to challenge you with is I want to challenge you to commit to gathering as the church, to doing life together. And I know Saturdays at five aren't always ideal times and life comes up and life happens. We understand that. But I, I want to challenge you to commit to gathering, to doing life together. Because if we truly believe life's better together, if we believe in the importance of gathering together, then commit to gathering with us so that your faith will help us and our faith will help you. A pastor friend of mine once said, there's no convenient time for church. And man, that took a lot of pressure off because <laughs> there really isn't. It's just a matter of priorities. Secondly, although I've been intentional in not running a lot of programs as a church, I want to encourage you that as the opportunities arise, join a small group where you can. I know that women have had a few. Uh, the guys had our first one this last winter, and we're planning another one for this fall. I challenge you to just take some time out of your schedule. We've, we're making all of our studies finite, so it's not this indefinite program you're signing up to in blood and you don't know when you can ever get out. It's just five weeks, six weeks. I think the guys went 10, and that was, that was kind of pushing it, but uh, it was amazing just to be able to have a smaller community that we can go deeper with. And then third challenge is connect with others from our church outside of this space. Maybe have coffee, give them a call. Maybe I'll put a plug in for the fall fair and serve alongside them at the booth this upcoming weekend. There's spaces available. <laughs> I'll leave the details and specifics up to you, but what would it take for you to, to reach out to someone? And then last, but definitely not least, connect with God. Just take a step whether it's been a while that you've connected with him or, or you're doing well and just take an extra step and just schedule time on your phone to remind you to pray. Read a new book of the Bible or one you haven't read before. Listen to worship music. And I'm sure if you need any recommendations, talk to anyone on the worship team or Chris and they're listening to some great stuff. But simply ask God to help you see the needs around you. And why this matters is because I believe that sometimes our church routines or our God routines, it just becomes stale. And we might have this amazing experience and this encounter with Jesus, but then over time it begins to plant, plateau and we just go through the motions. But I truly believe that life is better together, and together we can help one another. So on September 21st, in two weeks, because next week, with it being the fall fair, we're not having a Saturday service. We're having a Sunday morning service, uh, which is the community worship service in the grandstands. Um, on the 21st, in two weeks, I'm going to be starting a mini-series tackling the question, what's holding you back? 
And we're going to look at ways that no matter where you're at spiritually in relationship with Jesus, how can you take the next step in your faith journey? How can you lean into Jesus? And what's holding you back from doing so? So I'll just wrap up with this piece of advice that hit me like a ton of bricks from a sermon I heard years ago. The pastor who was preaching it said, if your relationship with Jesus is stagnant, it's not moving, go back to the last thing he asked you to do and do it. For me, that was youth ministry. But for you, only you know the answer to that. And just know it's not always a simple decision. I felt youth ministry on my heart, and that was in 2003. And I didn't go into youth ministry until 2007. That's the whole Jonah story, but we can visit that another time. But life is better together with Jesus and with others.